The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and I'm so excited to have a couple of friends in the studio with me today. Kim Gerald and Tom Goldscheider. Um, you are both from the David Ruggles Center. That's how we know each other. We are DRC committee members. Um, and for people that don't know about the David Ruggles Center at 225 Nonatuck Street, who wants to start? I'll start. <laughs> Yay, Kim! Yay! <laughs> I'm an, a relative newbie to the Ruggles Center. Only been there a couple of years. And... Um, it's an amazing small museum, 225 Nonatuck Street, um, where you can learn about what happened in Florence and Northampton in the 1800s around abolitionism. And you may or may not know that there was a community right across from where our little museum is um, called the Northampton Association for Education and Industry, where people lived and worked together and They made silk, and they believed in radical equality, meaning equality among all genders, races, religion, and class. So Florence was a happening place back then, small but mighty. Um, So to learn that history is astonishing. And you can come to the center, to the museum, but you can also take a walking tour, which is also part of how we tell the story. Um, so it's it's a rather astonishing place and group of people. And it was radical because those were radical ideas? Absolutely. And they came there as abolitionists. That was central to what they were working for, which was to end slavery. Um, so that, that was radical. Even you would think, oh, in Northampton they would have been against slavery. But in fact, there was a lot of support for slavery in the 1800s in downtown Northampton. We were just talking about this, that southern slaveholders would come up here for vacation to the beautiful valley. They would often bring their slaves with them. Many people said, yes, we're against slavery, but they only they really wanted to just... There was a movement called the colonizationist movement where they were more interested in, yes, they can be free, but they should go back to Africa. So there were differences in opinion between downtown Northampton and Florence. And so the David Ruggles Center has been around since 2008. Is that right? right? Yeah. April 8th. Mm -hmm. And so, Tom, have you been a member since the beginning? I have not. I'm a relative newcomer compared to Kim. <laughs> I've been with the Ruggles Center about six, seven years now. Okay. Um, and what brought you to the DRC? Well, uh, I mean, I worked in the, I still work in the trades, but then I went back to UMass and I got a master's in history. And I thought about teaching high school and then I thought some more about it and decided <laughs> not to. And then you tried it and then decided <laughs> yeah. not to. <laughs> Um, They're tough. That's Those a tough high school crowd. kids yeah. are pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, was fortunate enough to have a, a trade that I enjoyed and worked in, but I really do love history. I live in Florence. I live right up the street. Um, and I found out about this wonderful little museum that tells this amazing story. And it's a great group of people. I always say, you know, we begin our meetings on time 
and we end our meetings. We walk out of the building at 8 sharp. Are people going into the building now for meetings, you guys? No, we have lots of stuff going on in the building, which is great. Yeah, nice. Which we can talk about some more. Yeah, yeah. And and I only say that because I've missed a few meetings. I'm on the committee with the both of you. And yeah. Tom and I would show up once in a while in COVID or post-COVID uh, yes. and no one else would be in the, We'd be in in the, the room with the them. So I was wondering if... We're People still doing were, a combination of Zoom for got it. the bigger meetings, yeah. but we're having yeah. meetings inside right. as well. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Hopefully I make it back to you guys <laughs> soon. <laughs> I've gone a little far afield. Um, uh, so tell me about your trade, Tom, because I think it's a fun one that oh, not a lot of people well, I know about. Mean to bring that in. It's a fun fact. <laughs> a fun fact. I, about I, Tom. I'm a farrier. And which, what is a farrier for well, people who do not know? Because I did not know when I first met you and you said that. Do you know what that is? Horseshoes. Yes. Bingo. People who do crosswords can... Joan's really smart. She knows a lot <laughs> of or stuff. Unless or you're, unless you're just really Joan smart. Joan knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. And she has a really good nose. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. For smells. Um, but uh, it really is a very captivating and important history. Um, and it's also uh, remarkable that this was forgotten history. Um, and, a, you know, I give a lot of that credit to, to Steve Strymer and Chris Thompson and, and Lisa Baskin, and, you know, the, the early pioneers who really started it. Um, but as Kim can attest to, Kim and I both lead walking tours, and we've both had people on our tours that are our age, who went to really elementary, young. middle... For those really of you that can't yes. see them. Yes. <laughs> young, gray-haired people. <laughs> young, gray-haired people. Young, old. <laughs> young at heart. Young at heart. is a popular Absolutely. term around here. Okay, well, I don't qualify for <laughs> the chorus yet. But. Well, you do play guitar, though. Uh, yes. You could be in the band. I could I could be in the pit. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> yes, so a lot of people who grew up in town had no idea this history happened. Yeah, that, I'm one of them. Yeah, I mean, right. you grew up I found in Florence. And, David and, you, Ruggles Center. and it wasn't taught in school. No. No, and, no, this, and I went to all of them. Hill Institute and Florence Grammar and JFK. Yeah, and Witness Hill Institute was founded by Samuel Hill. Yes. One of the founders of the association in Florence. Right. Not to be confused with the association, the band. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> too old for that oh my god i love the association i we used to have this thing on the wall over here that was like the top songs of the year uh-huh. and i know none of them yes my song uh I'm, history I'm is way. a little I'm bit um, dated yeah 50s and 60s yeah nice so just um samuel hill hill institute samuel hill was the treasurer of the northampton association and he's sort of a bridge between, you know, the, the association was a utopian community um, that lasted four and a half years, which was a long stretch for one of these communal experiments. Um, but then it cast a much longer shadow over the history of Florence. Um, and he's sort of a bridge to that history because he went from being a super committed abolitionist communitarian, you know, he was really instrumental in Sojourner Truth and David Ruggles' um, lives in Florence. And then he went on to become a captain of industry. He founded the uh, the Nonatuck Silk Company that really put Florence on the map. Um, 
This is where America's silk sewing thread was manufactured. They then changed their name to the Corticelli Silk Company, um, purely for marketing purposes. <laughs> and they renamed Florence, they, or they named Florence, Florence B, because of its connection to silk. Um, and he became a prominent philanthropist, and he founded the Hill Institute, the first... Well, you can tell us about the Hill Institute. Uh, don't get me started. Don't, let's not get Tara started. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. the first it free kindergarten in the, the country. First was. Endowed mm-hmm. kindergarten. Yeah. yeah, closed in March of 2020, exactly. much to my chagrin. Yes. yes. And dismay still. Okay. Yes. Sidebar. Yes. Sidebar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but Samuel Hill, yes. But he th- started the Florence Bank. Yep. And the Florence Sewing Machine Company. He built the schools in town. He built Cosmian Hall. There was this amazing hall that used to stand where the Florence Civic Center is. And if you're ever there for the Wednesday Farmer's Market, you'll notice a bell there that says Cosmian Hall, 1874. Yeah. And that bell is on the same site as where it stood for the bell tower. And the pictures, the old pictures that I've seen of Cosmian Hall are pretty amazing. It, I mean, this was like... sat 600 a, a people. Big, yeah, I mean, it wasn't Full like, stage, you know, you right. think the Oregon, Florence Civic Center, that type of a hall, because that's a hall, that's Frederick another kind Douglas, of a hall. Yes, I the mean... The Temple of Free Speech. Yes. Anybody could say anything yep. they wanted to about anything at any time. Um, that's what they stood for. That's what the association stood for. Yeah, yeah. Free expression. And also Alfred Lilly, right? He was another prominent member. He that was, was a protege of uh, Sam Hill. Not a member of the association. Yeah, he was later, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. He he yeah. came he came up later. Yeah. But also an abolitionist. Yeah. That so, was really the the glue that held the whole thing together was their deep lifelong commitment to ending slavery. Yeah. That was the problem. Yep. And that also attracted an African-American community to the area, which was unusual for a small, smallish town like Northampton. Right. It was 10%. 10%. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Florence was 10% pretty incredible. African-American. Now we're talking 600 people, yeah. probably about 60 African-Americans. And it wasn't just, we know about Sojourner Truth. She became famous. David Ruggles, we're still working on making him famous, who was a black abolitionist. But yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yep. Um, well, we have to take a break, but you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster. I'm here today with my friends Kim Jarrett and Tom Goldscheider from the David Ruggles Center. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm so happy that my guests today include a few friends from the David Ruggles Center at 225 Nonatuck Street in beautiful Florence, Massachusetts. Um, Kim Gerald and Tom Goldscheider. Um, we've been listening to them talk a little bit about the DRC and how it came to be. Um, what we haven't told you yet is that we have another special guest joining us from the beautiful state of Maine, Lydia Moland. Are you out there, Lydia? I am. It's a pleasure to be with you. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for coming all the way from Maine um, to be with us. I know that you're a good friend of the David Ruggles Center, and this is not your first time interacting with us. That's right. How did you find us? 
How did we become friends? Yes, <laughs> wonderful way of putting it. So I met Tom Goldscheider while I was researching a book on Lydia Mariah Child, who is an abolitionist um, who lived in Northampton for several years in the 18, uh, late 1830s and spent some of her most active years trying to fight enslavement in very unusual and uh, entrepreneurial ways there. And Tom was very helpful to me in my research, and I also very early on got to visit the garden that he and others tend there in Northampton that has a plot actually devoted to Lydia Mariah Child and her husband, David Lee Child, and the work that they did there in Northampton. Yeah, and the plot of land that you're referring to is the Grow Food Northampton plot, um, which is down on Meadow Street across from the the Florence Fields. The Florence Organic Community Garden. Mm -hmm. Nice couple different names, it's I guess. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and Tom, what do we grow there? Well, it's springtime. We're not growing anything except weeds at the moment. But what do you like to grow there? What have you grown we, there? Yes, we will be growing uh, sugar beets and flax and broom corn. And so sugar beets is kind of uh, apropos for this conversation, right? Did, did Lydia Mariah Child try to grow them at all? Absolutely. Yes. Do, do, do you want to take that story, Lydia Mullen? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy, happy to. So Child had become one of the abolitionist movement's most powerful writers and speakers in the early 1830s. So she wrote something in 1833 called An Appeal in Favor of That Class of Americans Called Africans, which was a book-length screed against slavery from an economic and political and historical and moral viewpoint. Uh, and it, she had been a very successful author already um, in her early 30s at that point. But once she published that, she was really ostracized from Boston society because abolitionism at that point was still considered a very radical position, um, even North Northerners, white Northerners, who were not um, in favor of slavery, were often very hesitant about talking about ending it immediately. But Child really believed that this was a moral evil that had to be eradicated as quickly as possible. So she spent a couple of years after 1830 publishing in every way she knew how to try to convince her fellow white Northerners to um, to do what was necessary to end enslavement. And then in the late 1830s, she and her husband decided to take a totally different tack, which was to move to Northampton and try to farm sugar beets in an attempt to undermine the plantation sugar cane trade. So they thought that if they could supply American kitchens with a different kind of sugar, then people would stop being dependent on sugar grown by enslaved labor on plantations, and then enslavement would no longer be as lucrative as it had been, and then it might end sooner. So this was, I mean, it was an amazingly um, ambitious entrepreneurial move on their part. They had never, either of them, really farmed seriously before. David, her husband, had gone to Europe to learn how to do this and brought that expertise back to the United States. He was the first person ever to try farming sugar beets for sugar um, in the United States. Unfortunately, it didn't go well. Um, it was a kind of classic entrepreneurial disaster, <laughs> um, and they, they eventually went bankrupt instead. But in their time there, they also found other fascinating ways that I'd be happy to talk about to try to fight enslavement, um, even within a community like Northampton, which didn't at that point actually enslave anyone anymore. 
Well, I have one question for you before you talk a little bit about that. Um, and we did mention the Florence Northampton um, sort of situation um, previous to you coming on. But how does she go? How does how does Lydia Mariah Child go from from writing a really well known um, immortal poem of Over the River and Through the Wood to what you, what you're talking about to the really radical um, abolitionist that she had become, author that she that she we we know her to be. Yes, this is it's just an unbelievable fact about her that almost no one knows who she is, but almost every American schoolchild can recite something that she wrote, namely over the river and through the woods. But she actually wrote that quite a bit later in the 1840s when she was living in New York. So the period that we're talking about, she wasn't she hadn't yet written that poem and wasn't yet famous for that. But she was famous as a children's author. She had been a real pioneering children's author very early in her life. She had edited something called the Juvenile Miscellany, which was a kind of uh, it was a periodical for children, the kind of thing that children couldn't wait to come in the mail because it had stories and poems and games and puzzles. Um, so she was well known already for being a children's author. Um, that particular poem came later. But I do think it is a great question because this is part of why her readers were so shocked and felt, I think, really betrayed by her conversion to abolitionism because just like generally progressive people thought they could trust her with their children. And then when she suddenly espoused a moral position that they found way too radical, I think a lot of them really felt betrayed by that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, talk a little bit about Northampton um, and sort of the stage that you set earlier for um, the time and the period um, that we're referring to. Yeah, so when they moved to Northampton, um, it was already already had a wonderful reputation for being a good place to vacation. And so people would come from Boston, but also from the South, to get cooler air and cleaner air, especially in the summer. And so uh, one of the things that would happen is that Southerners would bring the people that they enslaved with them on their vacations to Northampton. And so Child would write about how she actually had much more contact with enslavers in Northampton than she ever had had in Boston, where she was really part of a more radical um, group of people that didn't actually interact with um, enslavers much. And so she lived near someone who was, uh, uh, at that point, then a Northampton resident, but who had been actually a slave auctioneer. And she tried very hard to try to talk to him and convert him and speak to his family. And then at a certain point, that man's niece came visiting from the South and indeed brought a woman that she enslaved named Rosa with her. And Child got involved in trying to help Rosa to emancipate herself in Northampton. So at that point, it was possible for an enslaved person brought north to claim their freedom once they were in Massachusetts. And it's a terrible story in so many ways because you get such a wrenching sense of what it was like for this woman, Rosa, to have someone say to her, you you could emancipate yourself here and not return to the South with your enslavers. 
But Rosa still had children um, in South Carolina where she had been enslaved, and her enslavers knew that, right? They knew that they had that sort of psychological power over her, and so in the end, they made it psychologically impossible for her to stay because she was afraid what would happen to her children if she didn't return. Um, And so she quote-unquote, voluntarily returned to slavery. And then the people who enslaved her used that as evidence against people like Child to say, look, they're so happy in their enslavement that they can't, they don't even want to leave. They don't want to be free. So slavery can't be as bad as you think it is. So it was this, this very strange game of sort of cat and mouse between abolitionists and Southerners who were in Northampton at that time. And, and I'll also say one of the things that Child was very aware of was how much economic power those people had in Northampton because the hotels and the other tourist industries um, depended on them. So there would be people who would say to the childs, how dare you interfere with slavery because we depend on it economically. And I think that's such an important lesson for us to remember in our own lives that even if we feel like we are well-intentioned and progressive, um, often we're supporting things that um, that are not any of those things. Yep, yep. Thank you so much. And, and I know that our time is um, ticking away here, but I, I wanted to just talk about you for a minute because I feel like, um, you know, you're a professor of philosophy at, at Colby College in in Waterville, Maine. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, most of your career you focused on 19th century German philosophy. I wanted to know what brought you to child. It was really that at a certain point, especially after the 2016 election, I felt like it was time for me to turn back to my own country, to learn my own history, and really look for moral examples of what people had done to try to address a moral crisis in the country in the 19th century. And I discovered child in doing that research, um, and I've really never been the same. So I wrote this book called Lydia Mariah Child, A Radical American Life, which is meant to use her as an example to think about my own moral life and encourage other people to do the same. Well, thank you so much, Lydia Moland. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show, and I encourage everyone to go and pick up your book. I'm holding it in my hand. Lydia Mariah Child, A Radical American Life. Thank you so much for your interest in your time. May 6th. Yes. Tom, we're going to make a big plug for May 6th, so don't you worry about that. Um, We've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm joined today with some friends from the David Ruggles Center, Kim Gerald and Tom Goldscheider. We also just got to hear from Lydia Moland, who is a friend of the David Ruggles Center on 225 Nantuck Street in Florence. Um, Lydia Moland just wrote a book about Lydia Mariah Child, who uh, had a lot of really wonderful ties to Northampton and Florence. Um, She was a really uh, amazing American author who um, really went from writing about children's stories to writing about abolitionist um, politics and, and just being radical in her, in her beliefs of uh, the abolition of slavery. And so 
Um, Lydia Moland is a really good friend of ours who's done a few things with you, Tom, um, around <laughs> the the growing plot that is down in Florence um, that you've attempted some sugar beets on and things like that. But we get to see Lydia again in the near future in May, on May 6th. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the David Ruggles Center and Lydia and what May 6th means. Um, yes. Well, our biggest annual event we call our Founders Day Symposium, which is uh, in honor of the founding of the Northampton Association of Education and Industry, which was the utopian community, the abolitionist utopian community that essentially settled the part of Northampton that came to be known as Florence. And they were founded on April 8th, 1842. And the Ruggles Center itself was founded in 2008 on that same date. So we honor that by having a, an annual conference event. We call it a symposium. And this year we're being hosted by the Bombeck Center. We'll, we'll be meeting there uh, generously. And our keynote speaker will be Lydia Mullen, who will be traveling here from Maine, and she'll be talking about her new book, she actually has a great title for her talk, Gathering Flowers on the Dusty Road of Duty, Lydia Mariah Child on Beauty and Reform. So it's a really wonderful book. Um, you know, she's a philosopher. She's sort of testament to the adage that not everybody can be a philosopher, but philosophers can do everything, including writing history. Um, and it brings a, a, a unique perspective onto that history. You know, she really is looking at, at larger questions, including, very interestingly, you know, balancing her activism with her humanity, you know, politics and beauty and human relationships and that, that nuance and that balance. And, and Lydia Mariah Child wrote about that beautifully, and she really brings that out. So... We are going to meet in the garden on Saturday, May 6th, from 10 to 11 <clears throat> at the Sugar Beet Plot at the Florence Organic Community Garden, and that'll be quite informal. We're, we're just going to talk about the history. People are welcome to stop by if they like. Our main event begins at 1 o'clock. Doors open at 12.30 at the Bombeck Center for Arts and Equity in the Peacock Room. And it, um, she will be there, the, the keynote speaker, will be there from one to three, but we're also going to be having a tribute to John H. Bracey Jr. One of his students, Erica Slocum, is gonna talk about his life and legacy. He, he passed recently. Um, <clears throat> he was a, a large figure here in the Valley. He was uh, one of the founders of the W.E.B. Du Bois Center for African, Amer African American Studies at UMass. He was on the faculty there for 50 years. He did not retire. He was working and teaching and, and writing. Um, he was instrumental in bringing James Baldwin to, to the Valley and Betty Shabazz. And he's a larger-than-life figure who also was very generous to the Ruggles Center. And we have a library. We have really an excellent library 
of African-American history. Um, and the better portion of that was donated to us by Dr. Bracey. And we do have some good friends at the David Ruggles Center. Um, the Sojourner Truth mm-hmm. Memorial Committee is also friends. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the schools are also partners with us. Yeah. Um, Kim, can you talk a little bit about um, just reminding our listeners what the David Ruggles Center is and also what brought you to the David Ruggles Center and what your role is there? Well, the, the whole name of the David Ruggles Center is the David Ruggles Center for History and Education. So we're teaching about a very important history of abolitionism in Florence in the 1800s. Um, and the way I got involved was as I was an educator my entire career. And the last 25 years, I taught children at Jackson Street School, and I used to bring them to the Sojourner Truth statue and tried to teach them about what was happening here locally and found I didn't know enough, so I started reading. And when I retired, I realized this was the work I needed to do to become a, not only an educator but also a historian. Um, so. I'm working closely with Tom and others in the education committee, and we do uh, we do walking tours for anybody who wants to take a walking tour. It could be a community group, it could be a family reunion group, it could be anybody. But one of the things we're very excited about is bringing in um, schools. So we've done elementary schools, we've done fifth graders, we've had visits from high schools. We have a group coming in a couple of weeks from Central High School in Springfield. We've worked with groups in Springfield, African-American studies programs. Um, So it's really exciting to be able to share this work uh, with educators. And also Tom has created a curriculum for secondary students using primary documents so that students actually get to experience what it's like to to be a historian and try to figure out what's going on here. And then they come to the center and walk around Florence and they see the places where all these people lived and worked. And it's it's extremely powerful. And so is there a charge or a fee to come to the center at 225 Nonatuck Street or to take a tour? We ask for, for community tours, we ask for a suggested donation of $10 per person, but we certainly wouldn't turn anybody away. It's a, it's a suggested donation. Um, and for school tours, we ask for $6 per student. But again, if a school is in a situation where that can't happen, we make it work. We want people to come. Yep, and we're all we're all volunteers. So yeah, uh, at this point. And, so, and yeah. speaking of, let's <laughs> talk about the volunteers. Yeah. I know we've mentioned a few of them, but I don't want anyone to get upset because the David Ruggles Center is all volunteer run, um, and the work is quite amazing. And the just the feats of um, owning the center now, and the work that's done at um, the Park Street Cemetery, which we can talk a little bit about. Um, the plot of land off of. Med- Street, um, the being recognized in the national park system um, on the underground network to freedom. I mean, there is so much work that happens at the David Ruggles Center that people really can't believe that it's volunteer run. So, you know, both of you, um, definitely uh, thank you so much to um, to you. Steve Strymer, Marie Panic, Sarah Lennox, Faith Deering, 
Emicon Sudan, Stephanie Pasternak, Lisa Baskin, Usman Power Green, Suzanne Love, Kevin McQuillan, Hugh Gilderson, Chris Thompson, Chris Metcalf III, and David Rosenberger. I think I got them all. And, and not to forget... Tara Brewster. Oh. <laughs> like, like who? Who did I forget? I looked. I looked on the website before I went on. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the David Ruggles Center really is doing amazing work. And we're also in the process of becoming a 501c3, um, which will hopefully happen this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the the slow roll, the slow boat to China. But um, yeah, I mean, I just you know, it's it's really impressive. And as I'm sitting here listening to you, um, I'm thinking, uh, you know, ten dollars, ten dollars a person. It's like you know, six dollars a person. I mean, you know, I don't. My kids don't know any of this yet because they haven't reached the age where they're being taught it, or the school has brought you in, or whatever. I need to start getting groups together and going around Florence bring them, um, bring them, to yes. support the, the, the work of, of us, of the David Ruggles Center. Um, but here we are again. We have to take another break. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with my friends, Kim Gerald and Tom Goldscheider from the David Ruggles Center. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and we have just been having the most lovely time here in the studio today with Kim Gerald and Tom Goldscheider from the David Ruggles Center. We also got a chance to talk to Lydia Moland, who just wrote a beautiful book. Um, entitled Lydia Mariah Child, A Radical American Life, who has a lot of ties to Florence and um, really is just so so around um, the work that the David Ruggles Center does. We got to hear about the event coming up um, uh, on May 6th at uh, various sites around Florence, uh, including Bombex and the David Ruggles Center and down on the Florence Fields um, on Meadow Street. So... I think one thing we didn't say about that event was that all of that is free. We also know it's a pride day, so hopefully people will be out in their cars willing to drive over to Florence after marching in the pride parade. Yeah, the the event is free. You don't have to pre-register, show up, and but donations are always welcome. You can donate online or you can pay at the door. Um, we also didn't mention that afterwards there'll be a reception at the Ruggles Center you know, family and friends of, of Professor Bracy, but we're opening it up to, to people who are there who want to come and, and and tour the center, and we'll have light refreshments there. So you can make a day of it. You can drop in for any portion of it. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. Um, but these are both going to be uh, very interesting Yeah, and it'll be an opportunity to go inside of the David Ruggles Center, which is not open all of the time to the public. We're only open limited. We're open soon, Sundays, starting in May uh, from 12 to 4. Okay, Through October. Excellent. Um, And inside the the center, you'll be able to see what? Well, we're actually at a very interesting inflection point right now. We just got um, a grant from the city, uh, COVID funding. ARPA, I think. ARPA, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, 
part of that is going to go towards needed renovations to the building, and we're also going to be able to finally compensate. Uh, who are the Chris? The, uh, the, uh, the, an the, exhibit? No, no, the, oh. the, the the website volunteers. Oh, um, Lizzie, I forget. Yeah, who they, they have it. Yes, oh. that's right. Thank you, Lizzie, for Thank all of you, your Lizzie. help yes. on the website. Our website is beautiful, and our website is David Ruggles. David Ruggles Center. Dot org. org. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to help them. But we've also, and this is very exciting, we have just hired an exhibit designer. This um, is Tom's excited voice, if everyone's <laughs> wondering. <laughs> this is about it as good as it like, gets. It like up like just a hair. Yeah. <laughs> he smiled. He looks really excited. Uh, no, but we're, it, it is, uh, you know, we have a great story to tell. We have great images. And, um, we should also mention that Steve Strymer is one of the, I don't know if he's a founder, but he's a longtime member of the Collective Copies uh, Worker-Own Co-op Network. And so we have great images, we have a great story, and now we're finally going to be able to really make it look and feel like a like a real museum, which is not to say that people shouldn't come and see our exhibits now, because they're great. Yeah, they, yeah. they are great, but a it's, lot of it, it has it, been volunteer right. run and it's led. A, it's and a real museum, but now it's going to be professionalized. And exactly, this, yes. this exhibits designer has been showing us work that he's done in other places, and we're like, oh, my gosh, the graphics will be better. There will be objects. There might be furniture. It'll be a, a different experience. So we're very excited. And I think mm -hmm. if people come now, they really will sort of understand the the volunteer-led and run and the work that's gone into <laughs> preserving the house from being destroyed, because that really was our origin story, right? Correct. The house was set for demolition, and a few people in the area said, no, this is not going to happen, and they put a stay on it and mm -hmm. actually got the house to be um, preserved. Right. And we want to be worthy of the fact that we are on the National Park Service Network to Freedom, and we're the only facility on that network in this part of New England. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very exciting branch of the National Park Service, headquartered at the Harriet Tubman Center in the eastern shore of Maryland. And we do have visitors coming from all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, we also assist scholars from all over the country. We have an amazing archive. We've pulled all this history together in archival form and our reading room. And so we're, we really want to be worthy of, uh, of that reputation. This is local history, but it's really local history of national significance. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. were where the heavy hitters in the abolitionist movement came. Yeah, and I think that when people think, you know, um, of the work that we do, and because it is so nationally recognized, they think large endowment or large grants. And really, I know firsthand that we apply for some, some grants, but it's usually like, you know, hand to mouth. We get one exactly. and then we spend it. We get one and then we spend it. And mm -hmm. our budget has only been around $50,000 or less than um, every year, which is really small for any nonprofit. So I think when people really understand that, and see the work that we do, they understand why we rely on donations to do a lot of our work that we do. And so mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone listening that is at all interested to come visit us, to go to the website, and to please donate um, and support the work that we do because it is really uh, multi-generational and, and extends beyond Florence, like Tom was saying. Um, Could I just add one thing that um, 
not everybody can come to the museum on a Sunday afternoon. So sometimes we will, if somebody puts in a request, we can open the museum um, on, on a special basis. And also when you get there, you can also visit the library. The library is astonishing of mm. African-American history. Um, and then another way that you might want to donate, if you don't want to donate money, if this is something that really interests you, you can volunteer with the Ruggles Center or come and get to know us and see if there is a, a way that you could be part of the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so the Park Street Cemetery, um, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about that and sort of the work that we've done around the gravestones? Yeah, well, another piece of our work is preservation. And Park Street Cemetery is one of the oldest integrated cemeteries in America. And many of the leading figures from the association are buried there. And a lot of members of that free black African-American community that lived here in the 1840s. Are, are also buried there. Many of them are self-emancipated enslaved persons, mostly from Maryland. So it's really an important cemetery. And uh, two years ago, we hired a restoration service and we raised the funds to pay them. And a lot of the markers were made of marble. They were broken in half and lying on the ground and the, the writing was disintegrating. So. Most of those have been repaired. And I should mention that we are in the process of creating the Florence Abolitionist National Historic District, putting the center of the village on the National Historic Register. And that's well, it's about two thirds of the way through that process. And that will ensure that will not have any architectural restrictions associated with it, but what it will do is we'll have signage and we will, this will guarantee that this history is not forgotten again because it's important history. It's amazing. I mean, just, you know, we just named about 10 people that do the work and, and the fact that you're, it's volunteer run and there's just continues to be more and more done. It's just so amazing. So I really, really thank you both for all of your work. Well, thank you, Tara, for thank bringing us you. on. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. For all of you do for the Ruggles. Absolutely, oh. <laughs> keeping <I'm>, us connected <laughs> to everybody. Yes. Well, it's you know we all have to do our part, and I think it's just so important to just to to be a part of the Florence story and to know it and it's in the retelling and we have so many wonderful educators um, on the DRC and so um, Mm -hmm. I just want to thank before we wrap up um, a few people Greenfield Savings Bank is my sponsor um, and employer so appreciative of the work that they do in the community also to um, George O'Brien and his team at uh, Business West telling uh, news and stories all up and down the entire region, um, Corridor of 91. Also to Craig de la Pena, who is also um, a David Ruggles Center friend. Um, thank you all very much. And thank you both, Tom and Kim, for being here. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. Thanks so much. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.